Welcome to the 130th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk in depth about the NCAA tournament. So let's jump right in to that look at the NCAA tournament as the first round just concluded and the first days of action, first days of action certainly have lived up to their March Madness moniker. Uh, before we talk about the first round as a whole, though, Patrick, your championship pick Kentucky and one of your sleepers to make the Final Four, Iowa, went down. Please tell us what happened. Well, I would like to mention that that was not a uh, jab that you made at me uh, before anybody thinks it is. That was actually something I wrote in as the very first thing to talk about because I can explain myself, okay? Um, well, we'll start with Iowa, I guess. Iowa, I, 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 I'll just say they picked a very, 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 very bad day to have their worst offensive performance of the year, in, at least in my opinion. Their defense actually looked great, and when it was close at halftime, I was thinking, oh, I'm really feeling good about Iowa now because their offense is going to get it together in the second half. They're going to not score 26 points and a half again, and then they're going to be great, and they're, you know, the Keegan Murray's going to get it going. Jacob Burton is not going to end the game as the leading scorer uh, from Richmond. And I thought that their offense would kick it into high gear, and the way their defense was playing, they were playing championship-level defense, literally. Uh, but their offense, which was supposed to be the championship-level attribute of that team, just fell apart, and they just could not find any offense for two long stretches. I think there were two separate stretches of four or maybe even four more minutes where they did not score. Iowa just does not do that. There was a stretch of 15 minutes where I don't think Keegan Murray not only didn't make a shot, but didn't even take one, and that was their downfall. They didn't get it to their stars, and they, I mean, also, they when they did get good shots open uh, and Richmond fouled them, they also didn't get foul calls, but that's a separate story, and I don't think the way Iowa played on offense, that wasn't good enough to make it past the Sweet 16 anyway, so... Uh, I'll say the refs did not ruin my bracket. I'm not blaming them at all because, I mean, that would just be foolish with how badly Iowa played on D- on offense the whole game. They could have made that game that those three those three points could have been a walk-on shooting those three, that shooting, shooting that three, and that, that foul call could have been insignificant or non-call, I guess I should say. Uh, but instead, they weren't able to do that. And in the case of Kentucky, my championship pick, I said that I believed in Coach Calipari to get that team to play championship-winning defense to lead them all the way to the Final Four and to the championship game. I said they were just outside of the Ken Palm Top 20 in defense, and I said that they would make it in there and win it, and that's why I was picking them from outside of that threshold even to be in it and to make the national championship, to win the national championship. I thought they would just evolve to a team that would fit the script of the Top 20 Ken Palm Offensive Defense team instead of being one of the teams that breaks that script. However, in that game, instead of playing defense that was good enough to be a top 20 defense, giving up to 85 points to St. Peter's, including allowing the Peacocks to shoot 51% from the field and 53% from three, wasn't good enough. That's not even close to top 20 offense or or top 20 defense. They scored a lot of points in this game, but their defense was terrible. It's pretty simple. Shibwe had 30 points and 16 rebounds. They dominated the offensive glass. It's just that outside of Shibwe, they couldn't manufacture... I mean, they manufactured enough on offense to win, but when their defense played that badly, I mean, either somebody's got to play better on defense and the whole team has to play better team defense, or somebody else other than Shibwe has to also step up on offense for them to win. It just didn't happen. 
uh, and while I didn't expect it to come this early, if Kentucky was going to have a downfall, it would be because of their defense. And, well, it happened very, very early. Okay, well, with that as an entree, let's take a look back at the first-round action, including through the lens of some of our pre-tournament predictions. But before we get to those pre-tournament predictions, uh, let's talk about your five most impressive teams from the first round. Well, I will start with Ohio State because I was very high on Loyola Chicago winning that game. I thought they definitely would. Uh, but Ohio State ranked 132nd in Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency, held Loyola Chicago to just 41 points. I will say not all of that was entirely... I don't think they played... I guess the best way I can phrase it is I don't think Ohio State played great enough defense that you would expect them to only give up 41 points. But they surely played good enough to only allow 50 or so or 60. Uh, and Loyal Chicago missed enough shots, which is always going to happen. Some teams are going to miss some shots. They're going to get a little bit jittery that it became 41 instead. Um, the next team I have to go with, partially because of defense, also because of offense, St. Mary's beating Indiana 82-53. to I mean, do I need to say anything else? But, I mean, I guess I will. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis only had 12 points in this game. I, I thought Indiana would be a good upset pick because of the fact that I didn't think that uh, St. Mary's was going to be able to guard Trace Jackson Davis. And I guess that game against Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren was not a fluke that where St. Mary's beat Gonzaga. They can guard big men. They can guard pretty dominant big men. I, I think that is proof that that game and this game against Trace Jackson Davis, sure, he had 12 points, but... 53 points is just terrible. I mean, they played great team defense, not just defense on Jackson Davis, but he is the thing that makes uh, Indiana go, and they really stopped him enough for for that game to uh, end up in that win for St. Mary's and really a big dominant win. Yeah, especially because Indiana was out front in the beginning of the game. I think the final 30 minutes of the game, the scoring differential was ridiculous. Anyway, And uh, Indiana had a few runs where, I mean, well, not a few runs. Indiana had one massive run where I, I think... What they were? I think you remember when when we were watching it. They they were probably stuck in in between, probably twenty four and twenty nine or twenty four and thirty one for maybe ten minutes of the game, spanning from the end of the first half to the start of the second half, where it was like maybe twenty four to twenty seven or something at a TV timeout, and they had made a basket, and you thought they'd be fine, and then all of a sudden, I, they that was with like maybe five or six minutes left in the first half, and then St. Mary's took a, an eleven point lead into the half, I think maybe even more than that. And then they didn't stop from there, and it just kept on going, and they just ex- expanded the lead until it was, I think at some point, like 48-31, to 31, and that was when it was already over for St. Mary's, or for Indiana, obviously. Uh, then, I gotta go with Notre Dame beating Alabama. Great offense by Blake Wesley and Cormac Ryan. I mean, both of them had great games. Blake Wesley only four points in the first half, but I think reached 20 by the end of the game. Had a lot of dunks, had a lot of steals, very active on the defensive end uh, also, and... Uh, Cormac Ryan finally didn't fall, uh, well, not him specifically, but teams often fall to the curse of the slapped floor where uh, they they slap the floor and then all of a sudden they start playing even worse defense than they were playing before because it's only a Duke thing. Uh, But actually, this time it worked out fine. Notre Dame continued to play good defense after Cormac Ryan hit a giant three uh, to get his 23rd point, I believe, and then he slapped the floor. They played better defense. They kept playing good defense throughout the rest of the game. So credit to Notre Dame for pulling that upset, especially after playing a grueling, long, hard-fought, double-overtime game against Rutgers in Indiana and then having to fly out to San Diego. In Dayton. Yeah, sorry, in in Dayton and then having to fly out to San Diego afterwards. Uh, 
Indiana did not do so well with that transition. Yeah, you but would have thought Indiana might have done better with that. Uh, yeah, not having an overtime done, game, overtime definitely. Game. And also a less physical game, too, also. But um, in the end, Notre Dame gets that win, and then I'm going to go to another 6-11 game uh, where we have Texas, who might have played their best game of the year, arguably. I don't necessarily believe so, because I feel like if you beat Kansas, you had to have played a pretty damn good game. Uh, but there are some people who are saying that that was their best game of the year. Uh, and I will admit, I obviously haven't watched every Texas game of the year, uh, but I saw Texas play a pretty decent defensive game and still lose to Kansas in overtime, so I feel like they had to play a pretty good one to get that win earlier in the year that they had over Kansas. Uh, but look, they picked a great time to play a great game. They picked a great time to live up to their potential, regardless of if it was their best game or not. You could debate that forever, but it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, they were my preseason, they were a preseason top two team for me. Uh, if you look at my very first bracket, back when everybody had Texas, I think number three overall was the most popular spot. I think that's where they were in the AP. I thought Texas' roster was better than UCLA's, and I thought that they'd be a better team overall. I had Gonzaga one overall because everybody did. Uh, but I really thought they were that good, and uh, I think they might possibly finally be turning the corner and starting to play like that top five preseason team that they were. And finally... I'm going to go with Arkansas because Vermont was not necessarily a trendy upset pick, but a, a, a big enough one as a 13 seed over a four, honestly. Uh, and then Arkansas, just every single time Vermont had a run, even every single time Vermont had a momentum swinging shot, Arkansas just brought the game back. And every one Vermont tried to make, Arkansas had a perfect counter and they were able to stay in that game, stay in control of that game, I should say because of the fact that they just answered every single thing Vermont had to throw at them. And even at the end of the game, when you thought it might be Vermont pulling off a crazy play, you thought the ball might have been off of, I think it was J.D. Note's face. It wasn't off of them. Uh, Arkansas hit some free throws, and they end up winning the game. I mean, every single thing that could have happened that could have gone against Arkansas, they had an answer. I mean, even if the answer was the refs reviewing it and finding who it was actually off of going out of bounds, that's still an answer to me. Uh, but look, Arkansas played very well, and, and I think... The other teams I will mention, but they were favored a little bit better. Maybe not in Arkansas's case, but uh, in terms of honorable mentions here, I have to say the three seats, Tennessee and Texas Tech. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Texas Tech score 97 points. That, that might be, if you're looking at them being actually a good team, that might be one of the program records against actual solid competition. I mean, a tournament game for that team to score 97 points, that team is built on defense. The whole world knows it. They know it. They should not score 97, and yet here they were scoring that in the first round of the NCAA tournament. A huge win. Obviously, they won by a lot because they were playing Montana State and, you know, not necessarily the best team, but still, 97 points is crazy. And then I have to go with Tennessee because... Longwood looked like they were actually staying in the game for a few, probably the first two TV timeouts. But John Fulkerson started off this game 15 points on 7 of 8 shooting and outscored Longwood personally. And then the rest of the team was like, you know what, well, we, ha we let John have his fun. Let's, let, let's start doing stuff ourselves. And all of a sudden, you had the whole team uh, pick it up. You had Kennedy Chandler start playing better. You had Zakai Ziegler start playing better. Really everybody. I could name their whole roster and say they started playing better. Uh, and, and overall, Tennessee just played a great game to really just destroy Longwood at the end of that game. Uh, and then I would also throw in Houston in there. Uh, I was going back and forth on if Houston or Arkansas should be the fifth team, but I, I think Houston, their offensive performance in the first half against UAB is much better than their second half, although still a very good offensive performance overall, but I will say 
I was definitely going to put them up there if they ended up with 90, and because I think they had 51 in the first half, but they slowed down just a little bit and just enough for me to not actually pick them. Uh, but overall, those are probably the eight most impressive teams. Obviously, Baylor and Kansas and Gonzaga, well, not Gonzaga, actually, because they struggled way too much, and same as Arizona against their 16 seeds. But those teams won by a lot, but they, they, they were expected to. Uh, not necessarily the case with Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee obviously was supposed to win by a lot, but they weren't favored by 25 or 30, and they think I think they won by 40 in the end. They were only favored by, I think, 15. I say only, like, that's not much, but still. Uh, and overall, those eight teams for sure, and obviously some of those teams pulling off upsets, and some of the teams who we thought were going to be upset getting those wins. Okay, well, let's take a look back at some of our uh, prior predictions, maybe some new predictions, see if we want to have a little different take on things. So in our preview of the tournament, we uh, took a look at our predictions for what the easiest region for the one seed to advance was. Um, you said the Midwest because after Iowa, you thought the combination of Wisconsin and Auburn was easier than anything in the other regions. In so, terms of twos and three seeds, yeah. Yeah, well, what do you think is the easiest region for the one seed to advance after the first round? Well, I thought Iowa was the second best in team in terms of the tournament performance coming out of that region. And now that they're gone, I think the road got even easier for, for Kansas to make it out. Uh, overall, Auburn, I will say, looked a lot better than I thought they might because of some of their issues. I think they, I mean, obviously, th the problem with Auburn has always been close games. We know that they can kill teams, but the problem is when they get into close games, what do they do? They're literally the opposite of Wisconsin, where Wisconsin's always in close games, and that's the worry with them is that they stay too close and they let teams hang around, which, by the way, Wisconsin did with Colgate today, uh, only winning by seven in the end, but... Auburn, we know they can blow out bad teams. We know they can blow out good teams even, but I still need to see them in close games. I still haven't seen it yet, uh, and we'll see what happens when they get into a pressure situation. Maybe Miami might even make them, might even put some pressure on them, and we'll see. I mean, that would really be the game that changes my opinion. If Miami makes it close and Jabari Smith, well, Jabari Smith is obviously probably going to be the best, is the best player on the floor in that game, but I need to see Wendell Green and KD Johnson outshoot Isaiah Wong and Caleb McGusty and uh, Charlie Moore for Miami. I think that that's the key for me. Obviously, if you put those three, if you put those three against Wendell Green, Katie Johnson, and Jabari Smith, and you put those trios against each other, those are the three that you need to be thinking of. And if they're able to, out, if Auburn's able to outscore Miami's duel, which by the way is really clutch today, uh, then I really think I have more inspired belief in them. And then maybe Kansas doesn't have the easiest road anymore. Uh, maybe then it becomes the region that doesn't have a two seed in it anymore. But uh, for now, I still think. Providence is kind of exactly what I thought they were. Wisconsin is exactly who I thought they were. Uh, and Auburn is still yet to be tested for who I think uh, or what I think their weaknesses are. And, I mean, they might even play end up playing Richmond. And, by the way, I think one of the worst matchups you could have had in this tournament was playing San Diego State's defense because it's so good. And San Diego State lost in the first round. So I think Kansas Road probably got easier over the last few days. Uh, and I think, overall, I already thought it was the easiest, so I'm going to stick with that. All right, well, I said the West. I thought there was a clear path to Gonzaga for Gonzaga to the Final Four with Duke being the weakest two seed. Um, and I think the path just got a little easier because the number five and six seeds are gone. Um, so I'm going to stick with the West. So let's move to... Well, before you move on, you didn't even mention the fact that Alabama is one of the two teams that beat Gonzaga this year. Yeah, Although think... Duke is also part of that group too, but... UConn was probably a trendy five, other than Iowa, was probably the most trendy five to go anywhere. I certainly said that. Uh, and because the Big East had a great year this year, and I think Nova's still going to go very far. Uh, but 
Alabama beat Gonzaga by 15 on a neutral court. And by the way, it wasn't even a neutral court. It was in Seattle. It was very Gonzaga favored. It's going to be just like they would have played them in the regional in San Francisco. It'd be almost the same thing. In fact, it's actually technically farther away from Gonzaga. So maybe they could have even had a, a little more of an Alabama crowd for instead of being an early season game, being in the lead eight game. But in the end, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All right, well, then let's move to uh, our predictions for the most chaotic region. You thought it was the South. What do you think now? Well, I'm going to stick with it because I thought it would be chaotic because of the later rounds. Uh, I mentioned Arizona's issues with Carissa out, uh, Illinois already beating, almost beating them at home. Also, Illinois' volatility that they have. Uh, Houston being a reigning Final Four team that really could be the best team in this region. I mean, all the metrics think they're actually the best team in this region, but not, not necessarily by far. Most of them... Well, most of them actually second best behind Arizona. Uh, Michigan, again, top 10 preseason. And again, as an 11, without a point, without their starting point guard favored to beat the six seed, that's ridiculous. Uh, six seeds are normally always favored. And Michigan here is without a starting point guard and is still favored over the six seed for a team that runs, what, a seven, eight man rotation at best? Um, so, or nine, I guess nine men sometimes. But uh, look. Villanova has the championship pedigree, and then you have Tennessee, who is hot. They just won the SEC. And then I mentioned Ohio State, fight uh, the most inconsistent team, fighting against the fighting Cinderella's of loyal Chicago, as I'm calling them. Uh, that game obviously turned out in Ohio State winning. But honestly, it, it, it has been pretty chaotic because everything that you thought would happen or you, every game that you thought might not be close, it was the exact opposite. Even if you go to the 8-9 game in this region— the only blowout that was almost as big as Arizona's and as TC and and as uh, and as Tennessee's over Longwood, and maybe Villanova's over Delaware was TCU beating Seton Hall. So the eight, the nine seed destroyed the eight seed in this region. The eleven beat the six after being down fifteen. Uh, you have Ohio State who gave up forty-one points with one of the worst defenses in the tournament. And then you have Tennessee, who's just going crazy. And then you have Villanova, who was do losing by 10 to Delaware for most of the first half. All of a sudden, you look up after starting to watch the USC game, and Villanova was up 10 at the half and won the game by 20. So this region still, even though there weren't many upsets, was crazy. And by the way... Not to mention Illinois beating Chattanooga. I was about to say, and I, I, I was about to say, I forgot to mention the fact that Houston scored a crap ton of points, and then Illinois decided that it would be a good day to play like Wisconsin for once and just play a one-point game for fun and see what would happen. Uh, Kofi Coburn missed all of his free throws, pretty much. Uh, really, them as a, Illinois as a team pretty much missed all their free throws. They missed a bunch of opportunities. They had a bunch of dumb fouls. Coleman Hawkins was literally slapping people for fun because he got mad at missing shots. I mean, they had there are so many things going wrong with this region already that I, I can't believe... I, I can't put my picks anywhere else. And I also thought that because... In the later rounds, it would be crazier. And also, I think it's probably the second... In terms of upsets, obviously, there's one region that beats them all, and then there's one game that beats them all, obviously, with Kentucky losing to St. Peter's. But overall, in upsets, this region's not too far behind. I mean, you have a 9 winning and you have an 11 winning. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily... It's not the most chalk region of them all. It's definitely somewhere in the middle. So it, it still has already been crazy enough that I think in the later runs it'll get even more crazy. All right, well, and I said the Midwest because I thought you could see three or four lower-seeded teams, the 9 seed, the 10 seed, the 11 seed, and the 12 seed, all winning in the first round. And guess what? They all did. Creighton, Miami, Iowa State, and Richmond all won. And so I think it's the same because they won and plus Providence. 
the four seed and Wisconsin, the six seed, look vulnerable as frankly. And you I didn't see. even mention the fact that well, I guess you kind of did indirectly, but Iowa lost, which makes yeah. which means that the top six in this region isn't very strong. Yeah, and I didn't think Wisconsin was very strong to begin with. Yeah, but by implication, I mentioned that yeah. Iowa lost. Obviously, if the nine, ten, eleven, and twelve won, that means the eight, seven, six, and five all lost. So uh, I stick to my prediction. I think we're we both been. Uh, We've both been on target with those predictions. All right, we. what about the most open region? Um, you were thinking it was the East. What I, do you think now? I thought it could be the Michigan region of last year where you have an injured one seed that had a great body of work but not necessarily looking like a championship team at the end of the year. Although, again, everybody picked Michigan to lose early and they went all the way to the Elite Eight a few shots away from beating UCLA and being a Final Four team. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with Baylor this year. Uh, and by the way, people also picked them to not go that far. Um, and again, somehow, this has been the most chalk region of them all, other than St. Peter's, which means that I'm going to stay with that pick, because now, everybody thought that this would be the region where the two seed would go to the Final Four because of Kentucky, and the one seed was vulnerable. I mean, I would not be surprised if I woke up, and I and the first thing I saw tomorrow was North Carolina beating Baylor. I also wouldn't be surprised if St. Mary's beat UCLA, and I also wouldn't be surprised if this region has a 15 seed in the Sweet 16 because Murray State is probably going to be very, very tired and they already had cramping and injury and foul trouble issues against San Francisco. They are going to be worn out. They might they might come out a little slow against St. Peter's. St. Peter's is coming out hot for sure. And then you have Baylor who's injured. North Carolina's playing ridiculously right now, although North Carolina always does that where they play very well for one game and then look terrible the next game and who knows, might happen again. Uh, but look, it's still the wide, it's still the most wide open region, and frankly, Kentucky losing it make, makes it even more wide open because regardless of the fact that only St. Peter's was an upset, that's a massive upset, and now Texas is even looking like it could be better than any other team in this region. I mean, it's entirely possible. So that region still the most wide open. And I agreed with you. I thought uh, five teams, the one through five seeds, Baylor, Kentucky, Purdue, UCLA, and St. Mary's. Could all emerge and it wouldn't surprise me. Well, Kentucky emerging would surprise me now, given that they're out of the tournament. I'll just, like you said, I'll throw Texas into that list. I think there's five teams. Wouldn't surprise me if Baylor, Purdue, UCLA, St. Mary's, or Texas came out of that region. I was so, gonna, I was gonna ask you if you thought that Texas actually could replace Kentucky at that point. Now that they don't have to play them either. Most wide open region there is. All right. Well, um, as we've harped on many times, a double digit seed has reached the Sweet 16 every year since 2008. Who could those teams be, uh, Patrick? The most likely double-digit seed to be in the Sweet 16. I think it's Richmond, and I think the reason why is because their style matches up perfectly to play against Providence, uh, because Providence just leaves every game so close, and they always win those games. But Richmond is on a streak, not a hot streak like like Iowa was or Virginia Tech, where they didn't leave those games close. They just won their conference tournaments easily. Richmond had Richmond was losing to Davidson almost the entire second half. It was just too close. Davidson just left it a little bit too close. Richmond took over. They got a bunch of and ones at the end of the game. And all of a sudden, they ended up in a close game. And then they took the lead on almost the last shot of the game. And Davidson just didn't have enough time to make their comeback because it was so late in the game that Richmond took the lead. And then Iowa did the same thing. They left them lingering around for too long. Richmond started taking advantage. Their defense started to take over the game. Jacob Gilliard's the best guy in the le- in the NCAA at steals. Uh, he's an elite, I guess, you, elite thief, I guess you could call him, because he's really good at picking people's pockets. And 
I really think that Providence could get themselves into trouble if they do what they normally do, which is keep the game too close. Because I think Richmond is is feeling very confident in... I think they think they know their roles in a very close game. They know who's going to shoot in a clutch moment. They know who they want to shoot in a clutch moment. And those shots are going in. So that's why I think it's Richmond for now. Although there are plenty of other teams that you could throw in there. And honestly, on talent alone, if I, if I ignored who each team was playing, I would be saying it's Miami for sure. But it's about... It's about who they're playing. Well, and you took the words out of my mouth. Because it's about who they're playing, I'll go with Iowa State because they get to play Wisconsin, who has... Probably the same thing as Providence, pretty much. Yeah, it doesn't impress me at all. Um, Frankly, went down to the wire tonight, played the last game tonight. I don't think they're going to be tired, but Wisconsin just hasn't impressed me. And Um, also, I mean, it's basically the same. We we named the same seed differential, too. Richmond's a 12 versus a 4. Iowa State's an 11 versus a 3. Same region. The region we're calling... Region we're calling. Did we call that one the wide open one or the chaotic one? I think, think I called, called it the. Chaotic. I called it the chaotic I one. I called yeah. it chaotic. You called uh, the South chaotic. Oh yeah, that's right. You said um, and the then, easiest region for the one seed to advance because of all yes, the best, yes, of all exactly. The right, that's the one that we agreed on. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I I think they're incredibly similar too. I said that's the reason why I thought it was the easiest region for the one seed to advance is because of Providence and Wisconsin keeping every game close. And all of a sudden, here they are playing teams that are good in close games. You're talking about good defensive teams too, especially Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State has major, major issues scoring the ball, but they won 59-54 today. Their defense has proven that it can stop good offenses, even with teams that they have kind of mismatches with, like Tari Eason and Efton Reed are definitely mismatches for Iowa State's lineup, but still wasn't enough to, to win that game. So uh, I, I agree with you there that, that, that those two are definitely the most likely. Okay, well, what about the least likely double-digit double seed to be in the Sweet 16? I thought Vermont was better than New Mexico State, and I thought that Vermont was underseeded, honestly. Uh, so I have to go with New Mexico State, because if Arkansas beat Vermont, I think they definitely beat New Mexico State. Uh, I just think the 12 seed, just it just doesn't feel right for them to be in the Sweet 16. I think, uh, I, think I would put St. Peter's here on talent, obviously, but they're playing Murray State. They're playing the worst team any of the double-digit seeds are playing— I, I don't like the matchup for Michigan. I don't like the matchup for Miami. But those teams are much more talented than New Mexico State and not so reliant on one player like New Mexico State is with Teddy Allen. And overall, I think that Michigan and Miami both have the talent to actually beat the teams they're playing regardless of the fact that those teams that they're playing are really, really good. And I think the only other one I considered is Notre Dame. Uh, but again, same region. It's the same thing where... The, the top seeds, we're talking about it. The, the top seeds are just good enough to beat these lower seeds, but maybe not be good enough to beat a Gonzaga. And I really believe in Arkansas. I believed in them all season. Uh, it's funny that they had to put UConn and Arkansas in the same region because UConn, Arkansas, and Iowa, I thought were the best three out of the, if you put four to five, the four to five seeds all in one, in a group of eight and told me to rank them, I would put those two, those three as my top three. And uh, two of them ended up in the same region. So unfortunately... It looks like I don't think Arkansas is that good, but I do think they're that good. I just thought UConn was better, but here Arkansas is. I think they're probably going to make a run. I think they're at least getting the Sweet 16, and I think they could give Gonzaga some trouble. Okay, well, I'm going to say Notre Dame. Uh, Again, focus on who they're playing and add into that. It will be Notre Dame's third game in five days, having to make that long trip. I think maybe tired legs uh, from that double overtime game in the play-in. Maybe it finally catches up with them. And again, I think just their opponent, Texas Tech, is too tough. Um, another stat we like to harp on is a five-seater worse has reached the final four in each of the last eight tournaments. Who could those teams be this year? 
Uh, Patrick, previously you predicted Iowa, they're gone. You predicted UConn, they're gone. LSU is gone. Alabama's gone. So the only team that you predicted initially was Houston. Uh, how would you like to revise that pick now? Well, I'm adding Texas to the list, and I'm adding St. Mary's to the list. Texas, because of how they played, and St. Mary's because of who's in their bracket. I mean, don't get me wrong. UCLA is very good, but I really feel like the way that I've seen Baylor play, I think Baylor is still great. I think Baylor is a great team. I think they're easily a Sweet 16 team. But in terms of that matchup between Baylor and the winner of St. Mary's uh, UCLA, if Baylor even makes it past North Carolina, which is not a guarantee, I think it's likely, but it's not a guarantee, I really do think that out of St. Mary's and UCLA, the winner of that game is probably a 50-50 shot to beat Baylor. So I have to say that I think both of those games are toss-ups. I think for St. Mary's, they have a they have a, they have have a a decent chance to beat UCLA. They have a decent chance to beat Baylor. So overall, I have to add them there. And then Texas won't have to play Kentucky in the later rounds. So we're talking about big picture getting to the Final Four. That's the easiest path, is not having to play and by the way, they're at the bottom of that region where I think that St. Mary's is going to come out of the top, or maybe UCLA. I'm thinking that Texas is going to have to play Purdue as the hardest team next round. And if they make it past Purdue this weekend, and by the way, Chris Beard is 2-0 against Purdue in the NCAA tournament all time. Keep that in mind. Uh, they, if they make it past Purdue, that's going to be the highest seeded team they might play in the whole tournament until the Final Four. So I have to add Texas to the list. And also, they really did play like they're probably better than Purdue. I honestly believe that at this point. All right, well, I had Iowa, who's gone, or Houston. I'm just going to stick with uh, with Houston for now. Um, and I not- agree with you, by the way. Houston, definitely. I mean, I didn't even talk about it because the fact, the fact of the matter is they are really just that good. I mean, they're just a very, very good team. But I do agree with your Texas just because a lot of this is about what happens to the rest of your bracket. Sometimes you don't have to knock out the number one or number two. Let everybody else do the work for you. Let Let all the the chips fall into place, and then you deal with what's put in front of you. Exactly. And sometimes you get a Loyola Chicago uh, to get to the Final Four, or sometimes you get a Loyola Chicago to get to the National Championship game. Or sometimes you get a UCLA. Exactly. Um, All right, let's uh, go to our other favorite stat, which is national champion is usually in the top 20 in Ken Palm's offensive and defensive efficiency. Only two exceptions in 22 years. So, Patrick, out of that grouping... Who do you think? Well, the options right now are Gonzaga, Arizona, Houston, Baylor, and UCLA. I don't think there's a team that's close to it or close to moving into it. Actually, I guess the closest team you could say uh, is probably Kansas because they're 5 in offense and 24th in defense, or Auburn, who's 22nd in offense and 8th in defense. Uh, And there's also a chance that a team like Texas jumps six spots in offense, and there's a team, there's a chance that Illinois jumps seven in offense and six in defense. They are going to have to if they want to win the national championship. So for right now, I'm going to go with Arizona, Oregon, Zag at this point. I think Houston is a sleeper, and they are definitely, and they're in that group, so they're well-established. Baylor has those metrics a lot from the guys who were there before earlier in the season that aren't there anymore. I still think they're better than most people think they are, and I need to harp on that before they end up making it to the Final Four, because I am not saying that I am out on that team. I don't think, I don't know that they're going to go very far, but I do think that they can. Um, and then I think Houston's a sleeper for sure. They've, they've been a sleeper Final Four team for me the whole time, other than Iowa and UConn, they were right behind them. Uh, and then honestly, Villanova's my wild card, who's not in that group grouping at all. Uh, they're 12th overall, they're 9th in offense, they're 33rd in defense. They could get better at defense. They could play better on defense. They can pass up teams who have already lost in the tournament pretty easily. 
uh, and even other teams that I don't even think are in the tournament or in the NIT right now or in any other kind of tournament right now. Uh, I really think that Zona that Nova could get there, and I think that that's my sleeper for the team that might buck the trend. All right. Well, uh, if I have to pick from amongst those four teams, it's either Gonzaga or Arizona. Um, I don't think Baylor or, or I don't think Baylor or UCLA or Houston is going to make it uh, to win the national championship. So uh, let's move off of Ken Palm and take back a, take a look at uh, who we think is in our revised Final Four, given all the upsets, uh, including a number two seed being gone. We're going to give ourselves a a little mulligan here. Uh, who's in your revised Final Four? Well, I went crazy in my first one by putting Iowa in it, and I'm going to still do it again. I don't really care. I went chalkier than before, but I added a six seed in here, and I think I foreshadowed it a little bit. I have Gonzaga. I have Arizona. I have Kansas now replacing Iowa because, I mean, I was going to... I thought whoever was going to win that game was going to go to the Final Four. That was my opinion the whole time. I just thought Iowa could win that game uh, because of the keegan murray Ochai matchup. Texas. I'm putting Texas in as that final team. Uh, I know I said that I still think Baylor is good, but I really don't know who's going to come out of Baylor, St. Mary's, UCLA, or even North Carolina in that mix. I just don't. I just don't feel very comfortable <laughs> picking one team out of four that could possibly be out tomorrow when I can pick from Texas and Purdue, where the winner of that matchup gets to play the winner of Murray State in St. Peter's. I would much rather be in that position. And then it's just a toss-up of who wins that Elite Eight game. So I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to say Texas. Okay, well, I'm going to say Gonzaga, like you, Purdue instead of Texas, uh, supplanting Kentucky, and Arizona I will stick with, and I'm going to stick with Auburn. So I'm just going to slot Purdue in there. And I also have to say, if I was going to take one more team out of it, obviously, than than Texas. I mean, by the way, I'm also saying with that because of that stat of the five-seed or worse, but... I will say if I was close to moving any team, I'm obviously the closest is moving Texas out of there, but very close second. I'm really, really close of thinking Arizona is going out of that group in favor of Tennessee because of how Arizona has played. And I did not like what I saw from Villanova enough. I really liked what I saw from Tennessee the whole game. Villanova had a little bit of a weak stretch, and if they start that bad against Tennessee, they will get run out of the gym. Okay, well, uh, after the status of the upsets, who has the easiest path to make it? to the Final Four. Well, I will say we like to go first take style a little bit and make everything a, a, a disagreement or some kind of an argument. However, I agree with you, and you're about to say it later, but Kansas has the easiest path. I think we already talked about this earlier. If you ignore the one seed, though, it's obviously Baylor's region. I think that's the reason why we're saying that Baylor doesn't have the easiest path is just because we don't think that Baylor is good enough to actually go through that path. But if you were to put Gonzaga in Baylor's path... Gonzaga would run through that path for sure. They beat UCLA by 20 earlier this season. St. Mary's got one win on Gonzaga when they played terribly. Otherwise, Gonzaga beat them by double digits twice. Uh, They would easily beat North Carolina, in my opinion. And they also are better than Purdue. They're better than Texas. They're better than every other team in that region easily. Uh, So I think if we were to go by path alone, that region is it. Uh, That region with with Baylor in it, but just because of Baylor's injury and them being the weakest one seed, I don't think I can give it to them. Okay, well, you want to do it first take style. Uh, yeah, Kansas has the e- easiest path, but I'm not saying, but I'm not picking them. I'm picking Auburn. So uh, I think we're just saying that region has probably the easiest path Definitely. Uh, for, for a team to make a run to the Final Four. It's the least gauntlet-y, gauntlet-y gauntlet 
Um, all right, well, one other thing we like to do, or you like to do, is you like to experiment with a bunch of different ways of picking brackets uh, based upon different kinds of criteria. And so let's take a look at how your various bracket ranking method, methods are doing so far. Uh, how are they performing? Well, first I'll get into stuff that's not actually an official podcast thing, but just some other brackets I would like to mention to do some little housekeeping. You have two brackets above the 95th percentile. You have one bracket in the 98.7th percentile, and it has Auburn winning in all, which I have a feeling is affecting your decision-making in terms of Auburn versus Kansas. You also have a bracket where Gonzaga is there, that 250 points, 95.4th percentile. Uh, I will say, I have an alternate bracket where I have 250 points in the 95th percentile. Unfortunately, Kentucky was winning that bracket. Um, I have the BPI bracket actually is currently doing the best out of all the brackets that were officially mentioned. Uh, it has 1,640 max points according to ESPN, 240 points, 87.8th percentile. And my original alternate bracket, which is why I said I would put Tennessee in the Final Four over Arizona is actually tied with that at 240th as 240 points, 87.8th percentile. But again, didn't obviously mention that one, although that one has a very high max points. Uh, and it was the only bracket where I didn't have Kentucky or Iowa moving on past the Sweet 16. I had neither of them moving past the Sweet 16. Kentucky is the only team I picked to go to the Sweet 16 that has lost so far in that bracket. Just wanted to mention that that's going on in the background. So that one has a chance of being a very, very, very good bracket. Uh, but... My gut reaction bracket and my normal bracket are tied. They both have zero max points pretty much because they both had Kentucky, but they both have 230 points. Ken Palm offensive efficiency also has 230, but has Gonzaga winning it all, so it probably has a better chance of surviving, obviously. Uh, Ken Palm defensive efficiency, 220 points overall, but it has Texas Tech, so it has a chance. Uh, Chalk is 220. The net is 210, which is interesting because that would indicate that the BPI is better at picking better teams than the net is, so... Something for the committee to keep in mind in the future. Uh, my upset bracket is doing terrible. My official podcast bracket is doing terrible at 210 points. Uh, my written bracket is doing terrible. Ken Palm, the better team in Ken Palm overall. It's actually interesting. The better overall Ken Palm team, Ken Palm teams are doing worse than better individually at offense or individually at defense. Ken Palm regular is at 200 points. Ken Palm defense is 220. And Kempom offense is 230, so that's something interesting to keep in mind that maybe it's not the best overall team. It's actually the team that has one strength that they can rely on, uh, even though that top 20 stat is pretty reliable too. Uh, and then, well, the random number brackets do exist. Uh, uh, although I will say, I am very, very surprised that Murray State stayed alive longer than Kentucky and that that championship pick of Murray State in my random seed bracket is actually alive longer. And by the way, my Murray State-New Mexico State final is actually looking decent. Uh, it's looking way better than the Kentucky bracket somehow, <laughs> uh, which makes absolutely no sense, well, we'll but see, it is. We'll see in the end. Uh, but I bet by the end of next weekend, all my final four teams will be out in that bracket, probably all the Elite Eight, because, well, Davidson's already out, and, uh, well, I could keep going down the list, but uh, I won't do that because that's a waste of time. But uh, overall, you can see that BPI actually is doing the best other than my own brain when, well, although I will say, ironically enough, I've been talking to people and I've been saying the less you know, the better you are at picking a bracket. And it's funny because my best bracket is me picking the opposite of what I think is going to happen in the games where I was flipping back and forth. My alternate bracket is my best bracket. Makes no sense. Don't tell me why, uh, but somehow it is the best. So there you go. I guess try, try your best to do badly and then pick 
all the one seeds, and you might end up with a good bracket. Well, I was going to say this is kind of like the test-taking lessons that we learned. Go with your gut, and you'll do the best, but you just... You just flipped that on its head because uh, my gut well, reaction is doing worse than me going against my yeah, gut. Your gut, your your lesson is when you, you when you're undecided between two picks, go with the one you don't think is going to win, uh, at least so far. All right, well that uh, ends our in-depth look back at the first round of the NCAA tournament and this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, March twenty first, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly deep dive into the NBA. And we'll have another look at the NCAA tournament heading into the Sweet 16. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday, and his upcoming MLB Power Rankings now that the lockout is over, which will have two preseason editions. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.